Sherry, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. We can see and hear you. I'll, I'll hand over. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you. So hi, and um, welcome to my presentation. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about Sever leadership and all that it entails. You'll see the little turban icon. I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, if we think about leadership, there is this tendency to really apply Eurocentric models to organisations that we work in that are generally cross-cultural, they're diverse. My highest hope today is that you walk away with a new way of looking at something and that you might consider maybe adopting in your toolkit. So to begin, a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Sheree Fuller-Smith and I'm a proud Sikh woman. Uh, full stop, which is, it feels kind of big to say that out loud in a professional context. Um, I've always, haven't always been a proud Sikh woman, uh, especially in the workplace. There hasn't really been room to bring element of anyone's culture into a workplace until recently. And what's exciting is that these conversations are shifting, they're changing, they're evolving. Um, it feels like a really exciting space to be a part of and to be have the privilege to come and share today. I used to work in advertising as a creative, but today I find myself at Torrens University. I work in the design and creative tech faculty. And today I'm going to be talking about Sever and how I embody it in my leadership practice. But first, I want to tell you a story about peas. I did say peas, green peas, lots of them. And you're probably wondering what Sever leadership and green peas have to do with each other and what they have in common. It began for me with a sabbatical in India. And I guess if this were a bit of an eat, pray, love adventure, it would be called eat, pray, peas. Um, I'll set the scene for you. I was in between jobs. I was lucky enough, privileged enough, and I realised how, just how lucky I am to have uh, been able to take two months off and to, to go back to my grandfather's village in the Punjab and just take some time out. And it was the first time I'd really done that as an adult after working consistently, jumping from job to job, um, afraid of kind of taking a bit of a break. Um, so I was literally hanging out in the Punjab just on an adventure. I was uh, trying to reconnect with my roots. Uh, one smoggy morning, uh, we had this habit of uh, we would get an early morning delivery of milk and I would make a donation of milk to our local temple. Um, we brought milk from our, we bought milk, I should say, from our local supplier. When I say supplier, I mean the woman across the way who had a few cows um, and it was fresh milk. And when I say fresh, I mean, it was delivered warm. She also happened to have a litter of kittens who would follow her across and um, we'd donate a plate of milk to them as well. Um, always really interesting walking past, watching her milk some cows and she'd be spraying some milk into um, the kittens' mouths. Um, and so I would then take the milk and I would donate it to the local temple. And to give you a bit of context, uh, the, the local temple was about 200 metres down the road. So after donating the milk, I got talking to one of the local temple caretakers and he said, do you have some time to shell some peas? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I didn't really have anything to do. And that day, just as it happened, as I was leaving, the electricity had cut out. So we didn't have any plans for the day anyway. So I thought, okay, well, you know, sure, I'll come and help in the kitchen. So I followed him through the temple to the side and to the kitchen. 
And I'll try and set the scene for you. Uh, you know, a huge kitchen, uh, women, about eight of them sitting on the floors, and besides them were sacks and sacks of peas, literally bringing peas. They'd just come from the fields. Um, and there were empty kind of pea mounds that were maybe about a metre high. So there were tons of peas and there were big pots and pans and dishes filled with peas. And it was at that moment that I realised that, well, just what I'd gotten myself into, but also that I was going to be there for a long time. It wasn't the kind of uh, thing that I could have done where I could have said, okay, great, I'm, I've shelled some peas, I'll see you later. I knew I was in there for the long haul. Uh, and here's the thing, the whole time everyone was chatting, smiling, telling stories. At one point, you know, there was a bit of breaking out in song. Um, it was a really interesting uh, kind of experience to be a part of and so different to where I had come from. And so long story short, um, and about six and a half hours later, everyone was still smiling. We managed to shell all the peas. Um, and it got me thinking. It felt really good to be doing something with the community and also to be a part of something. It made me recognise the value of culture and maybe that there's something in the simplicity of what I had experienced that we've kind of forgotten along the way. Um, and I kind of feel like when I was reflecting on the experience, it's like we go to work and we start talking about leadership and we talk about positions and we forget at the centre of everything we do is human, a human cost to every decision. And as designers or creatives or CEOs or, you know, product development managers, whichever part of the industry you might be joining from today, um, we talk so much about this language of human-centred values, but sometimes that gets lost when it comes to leadership. I've reflected a lot on Pgate, and that's what my family called it after about uh, six and a half hours of not coming back from the milk run. Giving, not taking was what actually felt really good. I was in my body, I was connecting emotionally, and my physical needs were met. I might have had a few smoky nuns straight off the hot coals. But when I reflect on that, it was about, there was something about doing something with people, reconnecting with my cultural values, and seeing the value in giving. And so that got me thinking about Sikhism and a part of my culture that I had maybe forgotten along the way. So what exactly is Seva? Seva translates to English, it roughly means selfless service, and it's based on the values of Sikhism. Sikhism uh, is, is in India, it's, it's a religion derived in North India, usually the Punjab. Um, it's usually the folk that wear turbans. My grandfather was a proud turban wearer. Um, and in Sikhism, you perform seva without any motive to be rewarded in return. And we see this idea of seva a lot in our Australian Sikh community. Uh, there are lots of Sikh communities who get together in times of crisis. They provide food and shelter to those who need it. Um, there's a few really popular groups. There was a, a brilliant article recently on SBS that profiled Australian Sikhs who were um, just making hot Indian cooked meals for people who couldn't afford groceries during COVID. Um, and if you've been to India uh, at all Sikh temples, it doesn't matter who you are. You can basically turn up and you will be fed. So you can even, you know, sleep at the temple. You're provided with accommodation. Um, it doesn't matter. There is no barriers to anyone being able to access that. So what is ever leadership? So selfless kind of implies that you go out and you just help. That's not quite the case here. This is so much more about the value of service with, not for. 
What was really interesting to me today is listening to a lot of the talks today is there was an emphasis on this idea of coming together and doing things as a team, which I think is kind of, you know, there's a really nice thread that ties back to this. This is the idea of working with your community, but for your community. Um, I'll discuss the five tenets of Sikh, uh, of, of Seva leadership and how these have been derived from Sikhism. The first tenant of Seva leadership is generosity, and that is to be generous with your time and energy, making yourself available and accessible when you can. And we hear so much about open door policies or making room for someone at the table. Um, this is a much more grassroots approach. You know, this is not about making room for you at the table. This is about building that table with you. The leaders that I've encountered that have acted with a true generosity of spirit I still remember to this day, and that is the legacy of their leadership that they have left with me. It was a really powerful moment and something I reflect on a lot. It's also the kind of leader I aspire to be. The second tenant is community. So it's at the heart of everything we do. It's about connection, conversation, but again, this idea of service with and not for. In big organizations, there are lots of communities, um, clubs and groups you can join. Um, I'm a bit of a joiner myself. Uh, you know, I quite like to be a part of those clubs and associations, but I think that this can also play out in informal ways. Um, I once worked with a guy who started an informal club. It was Nacho Club. Uh, and it sounds funny and it kind of is, but he would sense when everyone was just on their last wicket. And I mean, I'm hoping that everyone can kind of relate to that when you're just about to, you're at that tipping point. Uh, it could just be the next email that tips you over the edge, you know, when everyone's burnt out. We worked in this warehouse that was fully kitted out with the kitchen. He'd make massive trays of nachos and call everyone to the kitchen. And instantly we became a community. We became Nacho Club. Um, and what happened was really interesting. It wasn't always him who then instigated it. We all kind of took turns of being that person, of doing things for our little community. And I remember that being so simple but so powerful. The third is courage. And this one's a big one. You know, it's probably the biggest out of all of them. Um, it's a value that's obviously front and centre at every tough conversation that you'll ever have. Um, this is very much so about truth-telling having the courage to do the right thing. And I want to emphasize this, and this is also a theme that has come up today a lot as well, which is this idea of, you know, creating the conditions for safe conversations to allow each, you know, each person to have courage in that moment. It's a bit of a two-way street and it's probably the hardest one that we'll all grapple with, especially when you feel that there are very real repercussions for anything that you might say and do. And, I'll be the first person to say this is one I struggle with a lot. I really value open and honest communication and this can be really hard and I acknowledge that. I also want to talk about an example of a situation many years ago that happened in the workplace. Um, someone in a position of power was making very inappropriate jokes and we could you could see looking around the room that everyone was visibly recoiling in their chairs. And my copywriter at the time stopped and said everything we were thinking in that moment. She just looked him in the eye and she just said, that's really inappropriate. I'd like you to stop. It sounds really simple. That's really inappropriate. I'd like you to stop. And she just said in that moment what we were all thinking. And he did stop. 
But until that point, in a professional situation, I had never witnessed that kind of courage before. You know, for you, it might mean the courage to lay things on the line like that, or it might mean advocating for yourself, or even better yet, advocating for someone else. The fourth tenet is humility. So operating without ego. Uh, And we could look at this through two lenses. So operating without ego, letting go of notions of ego and not being afraid to put our hands up and say, you know, I need help. Um, Particularly, you know, we've kind of come through a really tough period. Um, This is a really big one. Or I messed up. I'm drowning. I'm burnt out. Um, You know, I don't know how to do that. Or even simpler. And I love this one because we need to start giving ourselves permission to say this more, which is, I don't know the answer to that. But also learning how to navigate and make our way in the world without ego dictating how we make our decisions. And this one's a really tricky one to balance. And I guess there's that perception, particularly with platforms like LinkedIn, that success and humility don't go hand in hand. Um, I worked alongside a creative director very closely for about two years, and we probably spent the best part of five hours a day working together on concepts. Not once did he ever use ego to dictate the decision-making progress process. So if it meant losing face or having ideas shelved, um, he was happy for the best idea to win. And when you see that in action, it's pretty incredible to watch. The last one is equality. So when we think of leadership models, we think of you know servant leadership. You know, we see that famous hierarchy and servant leadership really flips that on its head. This is not that at all. Um, this is about being as comfortable, you know, maybe pitching an idea to your CEO as it is having a junior pitch an idea to you. Um, this is about trying to master equality in your organization. I'll give you an example. In an organization I once worked for, I had a reason to email the managing director. It was a very big organization. And as I hit send on this, you know, send on the email, a great big warning flashed up on the screen and said, you do not have, you do not have permission to perform this action. Uh, you know, obviously every organization needs structure and function and you need uh, barriers and boundaries. Um, but reflecting on how you might be able to remove the barriers that are maybe interrupting the actions and the interactions can be a really powerful step to creating equality and removing hierarchies. I kind of want to revisit P's for a second. What I discovered in, you know, shelling all of those peas that day was when you bring people along for the journey, they see the grit and the determination that gets you there. You're part of that process. In this case, you see the end result. For mine, it was, you know, seeing the alumatu curry the next day. They see the process. There's this inherent understanding. You get buy-in. You get people coming back week after week, happily volunteering to shell sacks and sacks of peas. When people are involved in the process, it becomes, you know, a conduit for individual happiness. You also move from this space of looking for the helpers and cheering on the helpers um, to being a helper. And from that, doing good inherently feels good. And the research supports this. So it tells us that people who are happy in their jobs are more likely to contribute to an organization and are happier physically and mentally. You know, I can certainly attest to this. When we stop thinking about people as 
workers, employees, hired help, staff, contractors, sessionals, we recognize that we need to meet their needs. And of course, it's a value exchange, or as I like to think about it, it's a values exchange. So if we had to visualize this, what would it look like? What you're looking at on the screen is the sever wheel. There are three types of sever that you can bring to the table in terms of resources. So it might be physical, emotional, mental, and material. If we overlay the values that we spoke about earlier and all of their meaning, so courage, generosity, community, equality, humility, how can you imbue those types of qualities into your leadership? So it might be asking the question of how can you create a community of generosity or be courageous in showing humility or removing all barriers to equality. To pull this a little bit apart a little bit more, it seems apt for a design leadership conference to maybe use design thinking as a way to explore this a bit further. Um, these are these questions are not designed to be prescriptive by any stretch of the imagination, but more as a way to adopt a new lens and to encourage reflection today. Um, this is not about coaching scripts or the perfect way to maybe couch bad news. Um, it's about who you are, how you show up, and what energy and values you bring with you when you walk in the door. So let's have a bit of a look at some how might we uh, questions as thought starters. So you might, as we kind of go through this, become aware of some gaps that need filling and, or perhaps you're at the beginning of your design leadership journey. This is a great place to start. The first is physical. So how might you create an environment that fosters and supports success? So what physical resources do you need to do that? I had one of those moments for me when I, you know, Perfect. It's almost like I was being filmed in a movie or something. Uh, printer had been playing up all day, had a very important pitch on, had managed to print everything else out, but everything had broken. And just as that had happened, the client walked in the door and there was a new employee that had started that day, uh, now a good friend of mine, uh, someone I had never met at that point in time who called out to his nearby colleagues. I was working in a very big agency and we kind of formed this assembly line and we got everything printed and mounted together as a team so I could, you know, about 10 minutes later walk into the meeting and present. And this could be about deploying resources or helping when it's an inconvenient time for you. And that's usually how it happens. You know, you never, uh, you're never helping when it's in a convenient time for you. It could likewise be creating a safe space for conversations. I've also had that too. So thinking about physically how you might be able to create that optimal environment for success. The second is emotional and mental. Um, how might we support spiritual and emotional mental well-being? This could also be sharing your skills as well. So, you know, we've talked a little bit today about this post-COVID new normal, and we've seen organizations look at providing access to meditation apps and support services, counseling, mental health days. Um, a friend of mine uh, worked for a big American agency. And they actually, this is pre-mental health, you know, dialogues weren't happening in workplaces back then. So they were very much so ahead of their time. They would organize regular sessions, a monthly session with a monk. And you could talk about whatever you liked. It wasn't a religious session. It was just an opportunity to share. And it was about your own personal growth. Um, 
So that's one way to think about it. It might also be about sitting down with someone and teaching them a program that they've had the courage to let you know that they're struggling with. It might be emotional support. I used to work with a lovely lady, Sandy, in finance, and one day she was really upset because our agency had deployed this new accounting program. She had no idea how to use it. She was overwhelmed. She was stressed out. And Sandy was not a technical person. I am not a technical person by any stretch of the imagination, but I was able to sit down with her and work through that problem. So it might be about, you know, creating that network of support, creating that culture of support. The last one is material. And this could mean money. Um, Typically in Sikhism, it means uh, donations. It's in the form of donations. I know that I I can't see you all right now, but I know that every CEO in the room is probably shrinking in their chair right about now. And everyone else is saying, yes, please pay rise. Uh, So we'll reframe it. So how can we, you know, create or supply material resources as a gateway to opportunity? So it might lead to a person maybe using those opportunities to acquire more material resources or wealth or money. Perhaps it's access to a great conference like this. I had to add that in there. Um, I worked for a brilliant company that launched a grow week. So everyone in the agency got a grow week on top of their annual leave. Uh, So basically you got a small budget to work with. So you could go surfing in the Bahamas, you could go and volunteer, anything that really supported your personal growth. So the idea, it wasn't a business where you didn't have to go to a business conference. It was about your personal growth as a person. The only caveat was that you had to come back and do a 30 minute presentation to the agency and share some of your week with us. Uh, The agency recognized that principle of when you invest in people and their growth, your organization grows with it. It was really simple. Um, And they were happy to kind of fund that. And I've got to say, our churn rate was so low. No one wanted to go anywhere because everyone was really happy in their jobs because they were being recognized. And they were also given the opportunity to grow, which is really powerful. To cap off today's talk, I did want to actually call this from P's to perspective. Uh, I didn't know how that would go down, but uh, what that sabbatical in India did and the six and a half hours of shelling P's did was it allowed me to get off the treadmill Um, And that was a really great way to gain perspective. And one that truth be told, I'd never really done before that moment. My point of today's talk is really to open your mind up to a new alternative way of seeing the world. It might be a new way of seeing your leadership or the leadership um, or any leadership for that matter. It's a, a new way of seeing the people that you work with, not for. Um, I'm going to end today by asking you to take with you basically the best of what I've discussed. So it's a cherry pick approach. Use Nimbody body sever as you like. It's a system of values where humans sit at the center. I'll end today's uh, talk also with the final part of P-Gate. The plot twist to my eat, pray, pee adventure was that I really hate peas. And the next day I had to go to the temple and eat the alumatad curry and uh, pretend I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for your time. I've popped up my email address if you have any questions or you want to hear more. Um, Thank you so much for having me.